on July 6, 2022, James Khan passed away. In the immediate wake of his death, I personally couldn't think of anything worse than having his towering presence in many of his incredible and memorable films on my screen. The only way I could find a way out of my grief after being rattled by his passing was to bring together an incredibly generous group of contributors to share their heartfelt thoughts about James Kahn and arguably the performance of his career with Thief. Thank you so much to the contributions across this special double episode series on One Heat Minute Productions from Jen Johans, Alexi Toliopoulos, S.A. Cosby, Travis Woods, Jordan Harper, Jedediah Ayers, William Boyle, Bilga Abiri, Sean Burns, Walter Chaw, Scott Derrickson, and his co-starring thief, Jim Belushi. With many of these incredible artists talking about why James Kahn is so singular and so memorable. It is a genuine abandonment um, to cinema that, uh, that we have lost him. Like, there aren't a lot of people like him left that kind of old, because that's the other thing that is required for this alchemy to work, for the alchemy of his vulnerability to work. There has to be the old fashioned tough guy that you got to wrench it out of. And I don't know that we have a lot of people like that. I don't know that we have a lot of performers like that who are willing to be that cold and prickish and distant and will have that thing that makes you want to do the work to get to know them. You know, I think uh, actors, we always talk about actors, actors. I mean, and if you live in where I live, you meet a lot of them and my God, they are a needy bunch. Um, you, you uh, most of the actors you meet, they just desperately want you to like them so much that it's fucking exhausting. And it was great about James Conn is it seems like he didn't give a fuck if you liked him or not. <laughs> Out thief has always been on my mind because you know there's an old saying when when you drink the water remember the men and women who dug the well yeah and Michael Mann dug the well for me that was my first movie thief and it gave me great credibility as an actor and he was very kind and working with Jimmy Conn I mean God he had done The Godfather it was very hard to stand in the scene with that guy. I mean, he was, he's a powerful dude. Well, I can't call him Jimmy. I can't call him Jimmy. It's yeah. got to be James Conn. <laughs> Mr. James Conn. Um, and will always be Mr. James Conn. Of course, everybody is Jimmy. It's funny, all these guys, you know. He'll Al, always Bobby. be Robert De Niro. He'll always be Robert De Niro to me, but it's just weird. Everybody calls him Bobby. He just doesn't seem like a Bobby to me. No, you know? it's, it's like when, when I was with you in New York and I met him, I'm like, I said, Mr. De Niro. I'm not going to ever in a million years say Bobby to him, Mr. Bobby, Pacino. 
Misty. Bobby is Bobby is 17 years old with a baseball cap, <laughs> you know, uh, riding his bike down the street. That's not that's not Bobby. That's Robert De Niro, you know. <laughs> <laughs> James Caan. I mean, he he's it's been very nice to see uh, all the various kind of remembrances and and tributes since he passed away. It was also nice to see. You know him the last few years carve out this interesting twitter uh personality and i don't know how much of that was him how much of that was like an assistant or even maybe his kids or something like that i mean it just seemed like i don't get the sense that james Kahn was just sitting there like on twitter but but it felt so perfect for him because it was i mean and and i think we see this in thief too but his presence has always been partly kind of somber and without a ton of big emotions and yet so assertive. James Kahn wears his heart on his sleeve. Um, he is sort of the intersection between the generations of the men who, you know, didn't get told they lo were loved by their dads, essentially, and the ones that told their kid every day. That was a quote that came out shortly after he passed by Scott Kahn that my dad told me every day because he didn't hear it much. And you see that with James Kahn. He is all heart. Even when he's playing somebody tough, my favorite uh, performance that he gave is probably in Thief, but I'll never forget because my favorite character is Sonny Corleone because he loves his family, especially his sister, just so, so much. And that's all James Kahn. It could have been too easy Macho bravado, but the tenderness comes right through. Well, he is one of my guys, Blake. He might be my original guy, in fact. <laughs> You're, you are my number one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he might be the blueprint, you know? Um, yeah. I have like a vivid memory of being a young cinephile and building up to watching The Godfather for the first time. I knew that it it's was going to be life It's an important rite of passage. It really is. I would have been 14 years old and I knew that it was going to be life-changing for me. And my mum wouldn't let me see it because it's R18. She doesn't really mind too much, but I think she just had to like go put a slight barrier on it for me. Um, so she let me and bought me the book and let me read it before. Which I is could see way the film. more salacious. <laughs> Much crazier. Many of my <laughs> friends reading a couple of passages over and over on the schoolyard till the page is falling out. Not knowing you could do that kind of stuff in a book. Good lord. <laughs> Uh, but even from the book, I remember Santino really like connecting with me. And it, but it wasn't until I saw the film where it took shape, where James Kahn was playing Santino as this real like cultural archetype, like this Mediterranean cultural archetype that is an embodiment of the masculinity and the machismo that is kind of like idealized and one wants to purport and one wants to kind of embody or at least show the confidence of and it was a character that i recognized straight away it was someone that i knew it was someone that i wanted to be it was someone that i freaking completely emulated for a couple of years <laughs> of my life like we, as this 14 we, year old kid you know we all all ethnic kids look at mm. sunny because we all know that kid 
And they're always rat bags, but man, they get away with it. They just get away with doing whatever they want. And he is it's the that, king of that. It's, he is the king of that. It's that confidence that he carries himself with that feels so like authentically lived in because it is a bit of a front, but he embodies it and it is real. And I think there's also for me personally, like there's this style about the character, like he wears it is kind of like the, the, the lingo that they use. He wears it. He's got pink earrings. He's got that beautiful blue shirt, that nice yellow tie that goes over it and that kind of like three piece gray suit that I just love so much. And I think you know, being a young man, um, I, you know, questioning and trying to figure out my own masculinity and like how I fit into that and how masculinity fits on me with a single mother. Santino was kind of, and James Kahn as an actor and as a man was like a huge influence on like my masculinity because he had this like very serious front, like this very tough guy front, but there was always like humor and playfulness in there that wasn't in really in the realm of bullying. There's something about him that is quite sensitive as well. And it's kind of this weird, singular, tender masculinity that he displays. And I just freaking fell in love with him. I just thought he was the coolest guy. He was the coolest actor. And he was the one that I became deeply obsessed with after the godfather after seeing it for the first time i already knew al i knew freaking robert de niro but james khan was the one that i was like you know i want to be i reckon to this day <laughs> if i have a kid i i don't think i will have a kid but i think about it every now and then santino is still like top two names for a boy for me i'm gonna tell you do you know how many legitimate conversations I have with my wife about calling my son Santino and she's like, no, mm. yeah, I know you're ethnic. I know this is mm. your true ethnicity coming out. Yes. And I'm like, look, Malta's close enough to Southern Italy, right? We, we you yeah. know, in, in the past, you know, the Lebanese Christians and the crazy Sicilians made it. And that's what happened. That's what made Maltese. Mm. That's what made our weird bastardized exactly. half Latin, half Arabic dialect. I'm like, so it just <laughs> feels right that I could name my son Santino and so many not arguments, but me just pitching like I was pitching for a show, you know, like I was pitching the idea and it just was not going over well with the executive in my house. I often think of Malta as the first soccer ball that the boot of Italy kicked further away. <laughs> They're like, not them. God. Geez. Yeah, this had a stronger kick the first time around. Then Sicily, it's pretty close. Yeah. Just dribbling with Sicily. Oh, but yeah, so no, I, I totally agree. He's. You just touched on something that is so quintessential to the complicated masculinity for kind of like Mediterranean kids, which is this bluster and this hard, hard nose, like I'll, I'll, I'll fight and argue with lots of different people, but this like benevolent respect for your dad. And, mm. and when your mum says stop, even though you seem like an unstoppable force, don't get involved mm. and your mum can stop you. I always love that note, that note in the film, which obviously is in the book, but that note of like, don't get involved. It's so incredibly powerful. There's also this thing that like this joke that I hold close to me, which is uh, this a Greek joke where it's like, Greeks don't get married, they get worried. And it's a joke about <laughs> how, how love manifests in this sense of fear and worry and like this embodying like compulsion of paranoia. And I think Sonny 
And James Khan in that role really epitomizes that, like, you know, how he's really foreboding with his sister and her husband, Carlo, and how he's so protective of that. There's something about that that he channels. He has this, like, innate understanding of it. And I remember after seeing The Godfather, that was like my branching off point, like my gateway into the cinema where I would be finding links and like exploring the path going further in. And Thief was something that I checked out within the first like month of seeing The Godfather because wow. I had, I'd known Michael Mann. I'd seen, I just wanted to see more James Caan. So I was looking at like what the other really heralded performances were of him and thief i bought that dvd within weeks because i just need to see more of him and more of him as a lead and to see what he could do there the gambler to me is is it's not him using his his physical power as much as the other two movies but it is he is so magnificent in it and and he plays both sides of of the sort of bipolar nature of gambling addiction where he you know the that perfect night that he has where he wins all the money and you can see on his face the the, the supreme satisfaction and then just watch him piss it all away it's such a great performance and i mean sonny corleone what are you going to say it's it's iconic it's beyond iconic it's one of the you know three or four most important films in, in, in american film and and he is a linchpin of it and um and he's, you know, he does not that again, it's the, the trick between him and some other actors is, you know, the scene where he beats up, I believe it's Carlo, the, mm -hmm. the husband, Connie's husband. Um, it's, it's not as acute as it is in, in the novel, but that is actually uh, portrayed more so in the novel, but he does get it across, even though it's not really shot this way, uh, as a pathetic act um, of a man just lashing out and that Carlo actually... Carlos is, is, is Carlo is um, skilled enough in, in taking a beating that the beating actually comes off as a little pathetic and and you, the only you know Jimmy Khan sells it in the moment by the fact that he's out of breath at the end of the scene and they see if you ever touch my sister again I'm gonna kill you and it's it's not you know it's not the badass guy walking away uh, moment it's it's a it's a weakness and and the fact that he's able to play all of those things. Um, while you know able to portray again that that strength that is, is is you know he's muscular in a way that doesn't suggest human growth hormones and a bunch of crunches and a bunch of like oh, taking the skin off chicken you know it, it, it's it's it, it, it's more that you know robert mitchum yes. style like um you get it by pushing around big plates of iron and and uh or farm strong. Farm yeah farm strong i like that um yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think, you know, uh, he was just, he was just a, a presence beyond nearly anybody else. And, and when he was that electric and that big, you just want to watch him and, and you can admire his strength without, you know, um, doubting him as a, as a person. I obviously always play these very complicated characters. I'm not, I, you know, I'm sure in some movie he played a saint, but I never saw that movie. Um, and, uh, but, um, yeah, it was. Uh, it, it, we're losing these these icons, um, and they're not getting replaced in America. And I think it's usually when I say this sentence, I say it about Robert Mitchum, but you could say it about James Caan as well. Uh, young James Caan is not becoming an actor today. Yeah. There's no 
farm system set up for young James Caan in America to become an actor today. You know, um, those guys aren't going to theater school. They're not going and getting, they're not going to get hired on, on a lot of TV shows. I know there are, there are people come up through Juilliard who, who kind of have some aspect of that, but it, it's pretty limited. And so, you know, when we find these people nowadays, you jump on them with both feet or honestly, you get them from England or Australia. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, uh, uh, and I, I learned that, you know, we did cast an American to play Bud White in my LA Confidential pilot, but boy, we looked at a lot of Australians first. And uh, because, you know, again, the, the, the farm system of, there's indie films aren't really getting made in the same way. Um, you know, uh, it, so it's interesting that it's, you can argue about whether or not American masculinity has changed, but our farm system of actors has certainly changed. and. So, and, and by the way, I say that being completely ignorant of how James Conn became an actor, so. Nobody encapsul encapsulates both male rage and male fragility like James Conn. Yeah. Nobody is able to articulate the intensity of masculinity and the burden that that brings like James Conn, you know? I mean, Steve, excuse me, or The Godfather or, or in some of his other films, he's this tough guy, you know, he presents this image of the tough guy, but because he's an incredibly talented actor who never, in my opinion, really got his due, he's able to create layers upon layers of characterization in the, in the role that he plays. And you see beyond just the bruiser or the brute, mm -hmm. you see this really tortured person inside. Like even in a comedy, like uh, Honeymoon in Vegas, where that's a you know kind of screwball comedy, his character is still a very lonely man, you know, who is able to be tough, be able to take care of himself. But also you can see in his eyes and his movements and his body language that he's someone who doesn't trust anybody and hasn't been loved. And so with, with Thief, you definitely see, I think some people come to Thief thinking it's going to be um, like a Parker novel where Frank yeah. is just this automaton, just give my <laughs> money, give my money, give my money. And it's not, it's, you know, Frank is this dude that he has dreams, he has ideas, he has hopes, you know, when he meets Tuesday Wells character and they go on that date, a lot of people take his line like, you know, let's cut through the bullshit and get to the happy ending or whatever that, you know, I'm, I know I'm misquoting it as sort of machismo bluster. But really what it is, in my opinion, is, is a guy like that knows life is short and I don't want to wait. I'm in love with you. What, why are we waiting? Why are we, why are we twiddling our thumbs? You love me, I love you, let's grab it now because I don't know if it's gonna last. And that's an incredibly vulnerable thing to say. And that's an incredibly in interesting way to play that character. And I don't think anybody of his genre or his generation would have played that role the way Jimmy Jimmy Conn did. Well, I, I think a lot about his performance in The Gambler, the the, the Carol Rice film where you know he, he's a compulsive gambler, he's the gambler of the title and he can't stop making bad decisions. You know, it's sort of the, uh, the uh, the uh, primogenitor of uncut gems, you know, the, of yeah. that kind of character is like, oh, are you kidding me? You're about to get out of this. What are you doing? Why are you spent, you know, all this money you're supposed to use to pay back the mob? Why are you? No, not again, you know. And, and there's that horror with which you watch this human train wreck because you do like him. He's a lot more, I think, empathetic than uh, the Adam Sandler character was for me anyway in Uncut Gems. And um, but but what what he does is that the, there there's a scene where he's making a couple scenes where he's making these promises to his mother about not doing 
this again or that the money that she's going to give him for the last time this time buddy uh that that money finally is going to go to paying off his debt so that he doesn't get beat up or killed or humiliated in some way and even as he's saying it you know you watch uh khan's performance you know he wants to mean it and yes. you know that he knows that he doesn't and and that 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 kind of wanting to mean it but never quite being able to live up to the uh promises you make to yourself to, to to the image of yourself that you 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 know even though like a sunny corleone uh performance i think is he, he, he wants to be head of the family he wants to you know, show up as tough in front of his dad he wants to to prove himself constantly and he goes out and he, he beats up his brother-in-law in that amazing scene where he you know she throws the shoe but for for me james Kahn is always the moments before that when he bites his knuckle when connie doesn't want to show him the shiner or when he actually breaks his sister's heart by not listening to her, when she says, don't do this, don't do that, he cannot quite help himself um, to, to, to be the person that he, he entirely wants to be. And who who doesn't that speak to? Oh. It's you know it's such a complicated uh, a masculinity that he has. And that I think all of us sort of wrestle with where one of the first things my wife told me when we started dating was like, no more fights. You cannot get into fights anymore. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, nope, nope. You'll go to jail. Someone will die. This is serious stuff. You need to grow up. And and you, and the, that feeling that I had of like, but this is how I show love. <laughs> but this is how I express myself. If, someone, only, if, if yeah. someone even mildly disrespects you, I'm going to smack him in the mouth. Sweetie. Yeah, God, if somebody accidentally you. bumps into me in the bar, I'm going to start some shit because this is... <laughs> That's what it means to be a man. And how else am I supposed to prove to you? Are you an honorary Australian? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes, I think so. I was also uh, shipped away from my homeland as essentially a criminal. I I don't know. I I just, man, there's something about James Caan that captures all of that. That's sort of like he knows better, but he can't be better. And and that sort of being trapped in in himself is... uh, it's what's so compelling for me, even from the very, very beginning, you know, and his work in rain people is really astonishing as, as a football player who uh, go kind of goes on a, on a road trip and wants to enact hero or wants to enact football star, or whatever. And really he's just lost, you know, all these characters, all these figures are lost and that sense of lostness combined with the sense of absolute masculinity is I think what was always so compelling about Khan, you know, for lack of a better word, just even in, uh, in El-, El Dorado, a really early picture he was in for Howard Hawks, he plays this, this kid named Mississippi who doesn't even carry a gun. He just carries a knife in the old West and stuff, but he wears this ridiculous bowler hat because it reminds him of his mentor who was murdered at one point. And, and he holds it like a baby bird. He just cradles it. And, and you know, James Khan is like this, this, this gorilla. You know, yeah. it, it's, it's, he's like a gorilla smelling a flower, kind of, you know, there's that <laughs> weird image of this hulking guy who is terrifying to everybody in the room. I mean, he, he is, it doesn't matter what room he's in. He's, he's going to be the scariest guy in the room, I think in life as well. And yet the, the things that really resonate for me are, are those performances like in Gambler or even in El Dorado or, you know, and, and maybe especially in Thief where he is the master of his domain. He is the best at what he does. He's good at pulling teams together. He, he's, he knows what he wants. He's, but, but it's the scenes that he has with, with, with Tuesday Weld that really destroy me because here he is struggling against it. You know, it's almost like when Rocky brings, brings Adrian home for the first time and shows 
her his turtles <laughs> and stuff. You know, it's it's you know, and well, on on like like the second date I ever went on with with, with my wife, I sh I showed her scars that I had from uh you know soccer and surgeries and whatever like yeah i got this scar you know and i i think back about that and that scene in jaws too when they're yeah. you know comparing scars and the boat like men are just so emotionally arrested <laughs> and there's the, the, there's no good way for us to demonstrate you know or, or even big you know the tom hanks film where he really likes you know the, the girl and he hits her with a rolled up comic book you know <laughs> like this is that's right there's something right about these moments and and, and jimmy Kahn was that for me well it, it's it's an important movie in my past and he's an important you know uh actor and movie star in my past because i you know the, the saving grace in my upbringing was that uh for all the various ways that i, I came from a fucked up family my parents did love movies mm. you know and and we saw a lot of films i saw more films than kids my age ever got to see we would go sometimes to a you know, we'd go to a matinee and then and then get food and go to a double feature at the drive-in and see three movies in one long day. You know, awesome. uh, and and I remember, for me, it was it was a combination that with James Con, it was a combination of three different experiences. One was that my parents, you know, I was the right age for the the, the invention of the VCR. You know, it's like I was young when it first was happening, and my parents got immediately got it, got a, a VHS player, or I think it was a beta player, and and we're renting movies, and that we watched The Godfather at least once a year. You know, as as I was, uh, you know, learn starting to learn that there was more movies than the ones that you could just see in a theater. And seeing these great films of the past, The Godfather was the one that was just constantly playing. So I, I learned that movie inside out and, and was blown away by it, by both parts one and two. But it, I went to the drive-in and saw Rollerball. Yeah. And so yeah. I saw dry, I saw Rollerball at the drive-in. And Rollerball... I think it's actually made for drive-ins, that movie. It feels yeah, like you should yeah, only it, be able to watch it in a drive-in it, where people can I honk do... their horns. I do think Rollerball is the consummate drive-in movie. I think that's probably true. <laughs> if I had to pick, well, you know, what's the ideal drive-in movie? It's Rollerball. It's perfect for that. And so, you know, here's this guy, this movie star who's, who's uh, uh, you know, having this impression on me. And then I think I was, I saw Thief around the same time that uh, it was a late, it was later. Um, it, it could have been early college, but it, but but it wasn't. It was you know fairly early in, in Michael Mann's career. I had not seen uh, Manhunter, which I believe was first, but I had seen Michael Mann's uh, made-for-TV movie called The Jericho Mile, which I was obsessed with. I used to watch that over and over and over again when I was in early high school. Great movie. It's it, it's one of the great. In that that it's was one of the, the best. That was one of the movies. It's one of the best sports movies ever, Scott. So now, wonderful. so when he came along, my dad had already seen it. He wanted me to see it, and uh, and and it, and I I still remember the experience of that movie being something that was so in it was so ineffably powerful to me because of this character. And and of course, looking back, once I went out, once I was in college, I became a philosophy student. I was like, oh, this, this is an existentialist movie. This is a this 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 is this this is a movie about about soul existential existence. <laughs> but there was something about Khan's embodiment of creating meaning in a meaningless universe that that spoke to me so powerfully. And and, uh, and so yeah, he was he 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 embodied. Uh, 
this kind of masculinity, but he, but there was always this like deep philosophical attachment to it for me with him in, in the things that he did. And, uh, and so he, and, and my dad was a pretty macho guy, you know, so there was something, and my dad loved James Conn, fucking loved him, maybe his favorite actor. And so, so, so the, the imprint of that guy on, on my early life and, and on my life as a filmmaker and just, you know, uh, what, what I, what I perceived movie stars to be was, was indelible, you know? And, and, and I think that, that, uh, I think Thief is probably, you know, uh, it is it is one of the greatest films of its era and and the, and and also just if i can just you know the way that james Kahn embodied the physicality of that movie the heist itself and the non-dialogue heist and the realism of it and i'd never seen anything like that either i mean hundreds you know, hundreds of pounds of equipment and this guy who is so rigid and powerful and he's sh broad in his shoulders is just you know whacking these huge metallic drills and ma magnetic drills onto things it's you know and just him sort of effortlessly doing it like it's uh, i think that you're so right about the existential quality but it's also got this blue blue collar get your hands yes. dirty quality that was that is and, and I, I when i think when i think of that movie i always the, the, you know i tend to do this with films like when i think of a like when i was thinking of rollerball i was thinking of james Kahn, full body crossing doing the leg cross skating around the corners you know with the, in his full uniform and rollerball that's like the image that comes to mind with his team behind him um and for thief the image that always comes to my mind is it's i think it's a fairly compressed kind of long lens close-up of him but it's after they've broken into the vault and i believe his team is sort of gathering the money and he and the, the camera just lingers on him as he sits down and his face is all dirty and he's all filthy from from having broken in and ashen with 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 blackness and and he's smoking a cigarette. I, I love that. And, and 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 that that shot of him is that movie to me. You know the the sort of uh, the, there's a sense of satisfaction. There's a sense of meaning. There's a sense of purpose. My favorite part. Oh, definitely the scene with Al Pacino where he is doing the bada bing all over his <laughs> nice ivy league suit it's one of my favorites because it reminds me so much of like my great uncles and some of the relatives in my family who married the italians but weren't italian but thought they were italian <laughs> and that is james Conn in a nutshell because he 100 percent is not italian but he just pulls it off beautifully and uh that scene just is magic yes uh, you Khan, you know, he's got this reputation as this tough guy and, you know, life living at the Playboy Mansion and, you know, calling interviews shit face and stuff. But when you watch him as a performer, he's such a weirdo. And that's why he's great in Thief. <laughs> there is such this, it's almost prissy in Thief, his level of precision, which is great because it's a movie about precision and perfectionism. And, but the way, the way man writes dialogue where, you know, nobody uses contractions. Yeah. And Khan leans into that so hard and thief. He's got all those monologues with the $150 slacks and things. And it's very, he's a strange actor. And I don't think he gets a lot of credit for, you know, just because he comes off as a regular dude, you'd like to get hammered and go to a titty bar with. <laughs> uh, is, yeah, is, this, I, I mean, that's why the gambler works so well, where you can have this guy wearing a shirt unbuttoned to his navel talking about Dostoevsky. 
And there's only one person who could pull that off. And that was James Conn. Well, I, you know, the, the first answer that comes to mind is probably a thing that most people say, which is just a, a type of masculinity that is vanishing, at least from our movie screens and in a lot of ways uh, from our culture and from our lives, which is just this type of strength that isn't all, it could be bullying or, or, or brutish, but isn't always feel that way, that it is just a, a, a fact of his power and the fact that he is a, a man in this world who can handle himself. Yeah. And, you know, there are times when like, you know, when he's Sonny Corleone, which is James Conn was simply Sonny Corleone to me for, I mean, the majority of my life, I would probably say, I mean, it's completely um, fair. It's, the, the movie is so big and ubiquitous and he is so goddamn great in it that it's like, yeah. it's the perfect fusion of his power and the power of a movie in our culture. Uh, and my parents were showing me The Godfather when I was 11, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and so I've been watching that movie for, you know, most of the time that I've been a conscious person making memories. And I didn't get to Thief until fairly late. You know, it was far past. I think I'd probably seen Miami Vice, honestly, before I saw he or Thief. So the idea that he had these other roles that were, were just as huge or not actually better and bigger than Sonny Corleone mm. uh, it was fairly unknown to me until fairly recently. But they all, and to me, you know, you want to talk about the, the three great, and I'm not saying they're the only great ones, but for me, the three great uh, James Conn performances are The Godfather, Thief, and the gambler, mm, um, agree. and the gambler is one that I came to honestly in the last couple of years, and also because of the whole story about how he was inspired by Don Rickles uh, to add that. that kind of weird, weirdly cutting quality to 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 that character. I think people think of him in that way as kind of a confident, not really particularly reflective, just driven. Um, you know, 100 miles a minute kind of guy who then gets, you know, then just, just absolutely demolished <laughs> and can only be killed by like a thousand dudes with a thousand rifles just firing at him for 10 minutes, you know? Oh, my favorite is Thief. It's my favorite man. It's my favorite uh, James Caan. Uh, he is such a coiled ball of tension in that movie and really... In, in, in everything. I don't think I'm ever relaxed when James Caan is on screen in anything. He is absolutely ready to uh, strike at any moment. He walks, the, the, the shoulders are so broad and so stiff. Like he should, he goes through doorways or he should, in my mind, he walks through doorways sideways. He like has to turn and then go through. Uh, he was here to put on screen to dominate doorways and defeat top buttons. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, he looked like he could crack walnuts with his eyelids. Um, I, there's just so much on-screen tension. You're just waiting for it to boil over. And, of course, I think my first real impression of him was as Sonny Corleone. And, and you saw him go off uh, and lose it and... and uh, in that performance. And so I think I'm always waiting for that to happen in every single performance. More than your average uh, tough guy, 70s, 80s hard case, you know, I will also admit, you know, an affinity for him. Uh, 
because uh, for the broad-shouldered and curly-haired among <laughs> us, Khan uh, was kind of one of our only bits of uh, representation on the screen. So it was always <laughs> it was always nice to see him make uh, curly hair look cool uh, on the big screen. So you know, we always we we those are those among us like myself. Uh, we always have to to love him for that. But yeah. Um, I, there's a million things you could talk about him and say about him, about what made him special. You know, little bits, the way he bites his fist in the Godfather when he realizes that Carlos disobeyed him again <laughs> and uh, laid a hand on Connie. There's a little bit, you know, he's always doing those little bits of business like that. But uh, to me, I think, yeah, that that's, that's what made him so memorable. That's what made us love him amidst a, a myriad of other things. You know, he's very funny. He's very cool. He is a badass. He does just have that on-screen presence. Something about him where you can't not look at him when he's on the screen, even if he's sharing the screen with Brando and Pacino and Duvall <laughs> and Cazal. Um, you just can't not look at him. I was trying to think about that earlier today, like the, the chronology of kind of discovering Michael Mann's movies. Because um, I, I saw Heat in the theater when it came out. So I'd already seen and loved some of his movies before that. And, and I, you know, I know I think Manhunter was probably my first. And then I saw, I went back and caught up with Thief and, you know, Thief just, I mean, I mean, what, what can you say about it? If you love crime fiction, if you love noir, you know, I mean, it's, it's just the best. And um, it shaped, you know, it shaped a lot of my tastes going forward, I think. Um, and actually rewatching it a couple of days ago, I mean, I think it, so much so many movies try to be what that movie is and it's just not it's just not there uh you know and you really feel that that re-watching it now he is he always seemed like the tough guy who didn't want to have to be a tough guy that he felt like that he always felt like the guy who would way more would be way more interested in taking out this picture of what he wants his life to be you know he made He's kind of, you know, his character, Frank, Frank's kind of like a, you know, you could, you could almost argue Frank's like an artist or creative in some sense. And he made this, this little, this, this um, collage in prison, which is actually kind of haunting and beautiful. Um, he made this collage because he was trying to make an art piece that represented what his life could be. This kind of visual magnetic north that he wants to hold to. And I think that, um, there's something so sweet and endearing and charming about that. And you realize, oh, that's who this guy really is. All this tough guy shit. He's doing that because he thinks that's what he's got to do to survive. He thinks that's what he's got to do to make someone like him. But that he really, really is just this guy who's like, hey, do you want to like, you want to make, you want to make a collage? You want to make some art? You want to make a life with me? You know, do you want to, you know, just come get a coffee with me? That's what I really want. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't want to be Robin, uh, uh, Banks. He doesn't want to be doing jewel heist. He doesn't want to be beating the shit um, out of other mob guys. You know, he doesn't want to be, you know, blowing Robert Prosky's head off. He really just wants to be sitting with you in a diner in the middle of the night shooting the shit. That's it. That's it. And um, what's not to like about that? What's not, what's not to be charmed by that? Who doesn't want to sit in the middle of the diner? And uh, it's that great line from... Um, the Rolling Stones song from the exile on Main Street. I just want to spill the beans with you till dawn. You know, that's, 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 that's what Thief is. That's what Frank is. And I feel like that's where 
Khan kind of revealed himself as a performer, revealed the, his range, but also revealed what made him special. And you go back, you watch that movie, you watch any of his other movies, I don't think you can unsee that now. Uh, you, you can't unsee, oh, he's just like a big kid. And um, he's just a big kid that wants to reveal himself and share himself and be, as he says with Jesse, just want to be, I think we could be part of something special together. And when, when you hear those lines and you, then you see him, you're like, God damn, that's, that's, that's why I love the guy. And uh, that's why I love the guy. Uh, maybe you just like him because he's tough. I don't know. <laughs> In a combination of oral history, critical appraisal, and just deep affection, the crew and I go together and start to unpack well, the thing about the, the movie Thief is I came to it late in life. Uh, I was a grown man when I first saw it, but I'd heard it, heard about it, heard people talk about it, people I respected talk about it. So I came to it with this sort of high expectation, and man, it, it exceeds my expectation. It is such a singular, single-minded character study that it sort of elevates itself beyond just a crime novel, a crime thriller i should say it's it's i would say death of a salesman in a criminal sense but it it's mining that same territory you know the character frank is such a complex and deep character and everybody around him um operates based on the decisions he made that it's it's like dirty shakespeare to me i love that (laughs) love it you know, when I think about Thief, I think of all the lines that he has and all the kind of um, things that he says in the film. And I, and, I, and I think of them as being very sad bits of dialogue and, and sad sentiments. Like, I think of his character as a very sad character. Then I watch the movie. Every time I watch the movie, I'm surprised at how kind of big he is and how sort of driven he is and how aggressive he is in his line readings. Like, I think of them as very sort of subdued lines of dialogue. And then you see it and then you realize he, like the way he kind of emphasizes things. There's something very... Um, Asshole. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know? Or even that line when when he, when, when Khan died, I, I, I tweeted out this line from the film, which is, you know, the, the, you're waiting for a bus line. Yeah. Right? And I think of it as a very kind of sad, somber, monotone uh passage and i was watching the film again and i was like no no no. this is like you are waiting for a bus you know like it's it's very (laughs) like it's very flamboyant almost and i feel like that speaks to the kind of humanity that he was able to bring to these parts because beneath the bluster there is a sense of desperation and and pathos and you see that in in all his films really i hadn't re-watched it and you know i I watched it pretty often but it had been you know, a, a, a second since I watched it last. And I was just, this time I was just like, you know, 45 minutes in, already many of my favorite scenes had happened. And I could I guess I couldn't wrap my head around how much incredible stuff is in the first 45 minutes. And, and I think exactly, you know, what you're saying is exactly right. There's just so much under the surface there, um, you know, with, with the characters, with the story. Um, and, you know, really, I mean, what separates it in, in a lot of ways is 
Khan's performance, though, he's just, I mean, it's just a brilliant, brilliant performance that, you know, really lends itself to that, that sort of storytelling and to Michael Mann's ways of telling. Because, you know, somebody else in that role, it doesn't, the movie still be great, probably, but it wouldn't work nearly as well as it does, I don't think. You know, there's there's something about him, the way he carries himself. That, I mean, obviously the diner scene is just, just you know, other level, just one of the best things ever. And yeah, it's just this brilliant kind of under the surface performance. I, uh, I actually had the opposite reaction to him dying that you did, which is I watched Thief that night. I just, yeah. it felt like the right thing to do and it felt important. And uh, I, you know, you know, I have a first run thief poster Ugh. framed in my living room wall. It's wrinkled. It's been folded at some point in history. So it doesn't look pristine, but God damn it. I, to me, you want to talk about best. I think that's the best movie poster of all time. And that's yes. why it's, it's hanging in my living room. You know, his face transposed against the sparks. And uh, one thing I noticed that is not focused on his performances, just focused on what an artist Michael Mann is is how much the beauty of that film specifically is about gleaming and shining against the dark. Yeah. And, you know, whether it's that opening shot, which is beautiful, that goes down and down and down in a dark alley during the rain. And there is, you know, the you can see the rain shining in the dark in this grimy, you know, alley. You know, you see it in the, the beautiful neon and, and lights of, of his uh, auto parts place or his car lot. Um, that they show so many times. You see it in the reflection of the hood, or, or I'm sorry, the windshield of the car, and, and these, again, these lights that shine against darkness. And you see it again, obviously, uh, in the big uh, safe crack at the end. It's just, you know, sparks flying against, you know, reflected again in their, uh, in their masks and, and just flying against the, the darkness of the room. And I think it's, to me, that is, you know, whether or not man intended that, and th this feels to me like maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But there, there's something about how the movie is also about light and the darkness and beauty in these dark places, about making a collage when you're in prison to have goals in your life or to, to find this beauty where you can grab it. And, and you know, his, his, his pitch to Tuesday Weld of like, let's get this big love affair going, you know, <laughs> is, is uh, you know, this attempt to grab this like beauty in the darkness. And it's interesting. And I say this as, as I think it's, it's complicated because the film also, at least on the surface, thoroughly rejects that you should try and have those things. That it is, in fact, much like Heat, this argument that no, you have to walk away. That these things are, are traps and they're prisons and you can't have it. And I think because I, you know, I, I will, be pretty open about my my left wing politics and michael mann has been very open about the left-wing nature of this film but it's it's only he's only halfway there he is not you know he when he says go join a labor union uh you know the, the classic rejoinder is i'm wearing it um which is such a badass line but it's actually the, the problem with with his character is is that he is a person who has this ethos of like you are you are taking from me you're stealing from me you, you know, the profits from my labor are riding in your pockets, um, which is just a clear, you know, explanation of you are, you know, the capitalist who is exploiting me. And, um, but what he doesn't see is, and with the character, where the character fails, 
is that he doesn't see that he has to find other people, that in fact, joining up with other people is actually the solution to that problem, not yes. the gun on your hip and blowing up your life and throwing <laughs> out the woman you love and getting rid of your kid. And, you know, it's it's saying there, there has to be an other side to that. It has to be, you can't be alienated and, and, and be free. And at the end, he is fully free and fully alienated. He has nothing at the end of the movie other than the fact that he is alive and Dennis Farina and, and the rest of the goons are all uh, all dead. And um, that really stuck out to me this time watching it was, was that he, the, the kind of the way those two things are connected, this desire to see the, the beauty and the darkness and, uh, and the desire to have something. But ultimately the film, I think basically says you can't have, which is freedom and love. Yeah, it's, it's, he makes that quandary for himself because he starts to look at he starts to look at the like the living collage that he's created and the fact that it's been enabled by this relationship with Prosky's Leo and that Leo is the architect of it and he's also an exploiter even though like Leo's like I will make your life like you just keep working I'll protect you we'll make money hand over fist obviously like he's got the big cut in it but he's like, he's so rails against the potential prison that it is of that relationship and it not being exactly on the terms with which that he's gotten to his level of proficiency that he's willing to abandon it all. And that's why it's so tragic. Like when he's just like so matter of factly telling Tuesday, well, you will pay him this much for this first month of care and you will pay him this much for this second month of care and you will do this. And you almost can't believe at the end of that exchange. It's one of the things that I love movies that I, and I don't know if you have this experience too, but like so many of my favorite movies, they're so great because they f make me forget s the exact sequence of things. Cause it's all this like big amorphous memory. And I forget always how clinically that break is. Cause like Tuesday world leaves, he like bundles her out of the house. And then two seconds later, it's that fantastic montage of exploding things and things being on fire. And you always like, oh, come on. Is there one more conversation? Is there one more piece of dialogue? Is there one more something that he, she can convince him that going to the ends of this is not the only solution to this problem. But as soon as Barry's gone and that's all happened and he's been threatened and, and that's, and, and Leo is sort of, you know, controlling this situation wholly he's like i'm just gonna burn everything in my life to the ground and what a nihil like it's his not you know extreme nihilistic reaction but i don't know he seems to carry that nihilism with this that's the great thing about james khan he can carry this extremely nihilistic act with this very relatable blue collar approach that when it's all burned down and he's limping away even the limp is like loaded with regret. I don't know. It's mm -hmm. something special that he can do that like no one else on the planet can do. So I think it was such a breakthrough movie for me as a teenager because it has a thing that I have now come to love, but I think it might be once again, like the little dot point that led me to loving process films and where yeah. you see the process of how criminality or how 
his theory works. Like you see it broken down in silence, basically, apart from like an incredible score and <laughs> these incredible like detailed shots of how one cracks safes and breaks locks. And I think that is the first time I really noticed something like that. Yeah. And now I'm thinking about it, I'm like, holy crap, that's something I just have always loved is those details. And the way it breaks it down, I think Thief might be the... I Now I'm looking back, I'm freaking out. <laughs> Thief might be the one that led me down the path. I think it is close to the perfect monument you'd wish for. And I think, you know, we do think of James Carnes Santino. That's a character that he embodies that is such a strong part of cinema history. But then when you look at his leading man work, so much of it is... So much of it is built on these really interesting men, these really interesting characters. And for the most part, they're all like, they're all very interesting films where they're not just like straight down the line genre pictures. They're all doing something strange. They're all in different genres. The day he died, I watched back to back. They were already sitting on my shelf of movies. I'm like, oh, I should rewatch those. But I watched back to back Rollerball and misery and you could not have two more disparately connected <laughs> films and so two different genre shifts and two different takes on even the genre that they're in um and he's just a magnificent actor in both of them where he embodies so many different things and so many elements so many different elements of his character come to play in creating those cohesive men that are troubled by different things and i think that's such a thing about him is that he's such a strong masculine character but you always have that feel that something is unsettled deep within him and i think thief is probably the best example of that where he is so energetic through it and i don't even really know if i'm using the term correctly but energetic <laughs> is the way i think about it because he's like this pulsive energy throughout him. It's not like quite erratic or something, but he has the energy of a real person that is going through the, like, I don't even know how to describe it. I just am <laughs> mesmerized by him every time. Um, I wouldn't say it's underrated, but I think it's underappreciated. I really, yeah. I still think it's underappreciated. Um, like I said, from a technical standpoint, visually, cinematography, um, but also from a, a story point, you know, as I said, Frank is not a machine, you know, he's the rarest of tough guys. He's a tough guy, not only with a heart, but with a conscience, you know, people talk about code and a lot of times, and I write crime fiction, a lot of times in crime fiction, it's like, oh, your character has a code he, or he or she has a code. And Frank has a code that isn't just steep and based in his crime activities. It's also based on the way he lives his life, you know? And, and so because he doesn't want to work for gags, it's not just, I don't want to work for you because I'm a tough guy. I don't want to work for you because I don't like you. <laughs> I don't trust you. You know, you're a bad person. Yeah, we're all criminals, but you, yeah, you're a bad person. And he's right. And so I think, again, he's such a complex character. I don't know how much of that is, is, is the script and how much of that is Khan's performance. But you can't take your eyes off it. You really can't. And and just like I said again, I think so many films, like we mentioned Drive, but there are other films that draw from that sort of code, um, 
you know, you can see a little bit of that in Jules Winterfield in Pulp Fiction. You can see yeah. a little bit of that in the character. Um, like, uh, and I referenced Parker, but his book, this movie is based on Parker uh, in uh, um, Payback with uh, with uh, uh, Mel Gibson. Yeah. You can see that sort of universal code, not just with my business, but where I carry myself as a human being. And um, I don't know, it's funny because I'd love to ask like Michael Mann and the people that were involved in that when they were making that movie. Was that something you were going for intentionally, or did James Conn bring that to the performance? It's a wonderful uh, question, you know, because he's he's not this brooding, just tough guy. He's a real human being, you know. He's not a guy who is a thief. Who is that's his profession. James Conn does such a great job of of really driving that point that character doesn't have to say a lot because it's all it's all there you know and the way he the way he moves and the way he looks and, and there's just so much pain and rage um especially by the at the end of the movie you know that it's it's just it's just a remarkable performance but i think overall over the course of his career he like his characters often cut a much sadder path yeah. uh and you see that in you know you said it's in coppola's the rain people where he's playing um you know a football player uh or a former football star who's, who's mentally disabled now because of um you know because of football injuries it's a really sad character really touching character and he's he's great in that um and it's like the exact i mean it's nothing like sun it's 190 190 degrees yeah um so i don't know you know it's not like a you know, we like to talk about actors having range, and I think Khan had his share of range, but, you know, he also had sort of his sweet spot where he sort of knew the kind of parts to do and just did them. And even in later years when he was playing kind of the, you know, the old guy that shows up in the movie, like he was still doing the same type of part. And some of that was probably typecasting, but he knew how to, he, he knew how to give dimensionality to characters like that, even if the part, you know, even if the words on the page didn't necessarily do that you know rule of thumb is you know a movie has 33 scenes in it and that's about three minutes a scene and you know you never really go more than three minutes on a scene that was a 10 minute scene yeah sitting down <laughs> no action that's just pure charisma acting action between the eyes tuesday well was so good in that scene james jimmy was so good it was brilliant asshole <laughs> oh man what a good movie yeah prosky's prosky is so perfect uh and so perfect to play against Khan. i mean you, you can almost think of it as you know look at the way Khan and prosky's relationship develops and then look at the way that 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 con and, and tuesday weld's relationship develops i mean it's it's sort of like I, you know I, I, i've written about this in the past not not necessarily with regards to thief but um it is kind of it's almost a cliche in filmmaking and and it can sometimes be frustrating it's this notion that characters have to be consistent yeah right this notion that characters have to be consistent and their interactions have to be consistent that can lead to a kind of sameness that never feels authentic to me because I am a different person when I'm, you know, with 
this person or with that person. I'm a different person when I'm with Errol and I'm a different person when I'm with my wife and I'm a different person when I'm with my dad and I'm a different person when I'm with, you know, my colleagues or whatever. Um, and, and, and I'm not a different person. The changes are different. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in a very different dynamic, right? Different power dynamic. And in films so rarely that because there is the sense that, okay, this person is this. These are the log lines for this character and this character is, has to be like this throughout the movie. And there are some variations on it, but this is this is the thing, right? And and you know, Tom Cruise movies are like this. And I, I love Tom Cruise movies, but Tom Cruise movies are not like, well, his relationship with this person is different, and his relationship with that person is different. His, like, no, no, he's always Tom Cruise, you know. <laughs> but um, but what makes Thief so wonderful, I think, is it recognizes that, and it recognizes that even though Frank is always Frank. It's not. I mean, we just got done talking about how you know he's always James Caan. There's that sort of essence to him that that never goes away. But the character dynamics can be very different from scene to scene, depending on who he's with, depending on the context, um, and and that's what makes it so vivid and so real to me. Morning. Yeah, morning. What's it, Captain? Cold. Mag run when it's cold. magic that's what that is man that's the sky chief ain't that sky chief something huh yeah. <laughs> i was watching it again last night and it struck me uh that the scene at the you know the beginning the opening heist and then he walks along the waterfront mm. as uh you know at dawn and he speaks to the fisherman and he's he's feeling you know satisfied with with his good good work uh, for the night, and he's having his coffee in Danish, and he and he offers one to the uh, the fisherman who is probably a stranger, you know, uh, but it's the only non-transactional uh, exchange he has in the the entire film. Uh, you know, every single thing is about what he can get from somebody or what they want to get from him and how he's going to, um, you know, even the scene, the barbecue scene with, uh, you know, when Belushi comes over to the house and what, a millionaire live here? And, you know, <laughs> you think, oh, he's going to he's going to relax and have a social life here. But, you know, they're talking about that fifth alarm and that's the, you know, they're working still. But that scene where he's. He's done with work and he doesn't know this guy. They have, he doesn't owe him anything and he offers him the Danish, you know, and it's the only glimpse, the entire picture you get of this guy 
being able to take his mind off of work or, um, you know, it, and it's the, it's about the first thing you see is, is this. And then you see that nothing else ever comes close to that, that he's every transaction, every, or every interaction is a transaction. I'm taking something from you or I'm giving something to you because you are forcing me to, or, you know, there's, something like that going on the whole time and and it, it was a really special scene watching it this time I and mean, it's always a beautiful shot of the the lake and uh the sky but uh sky chief little, man look at that sky yeah chief. big sky chief but that 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 shot the way he 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 kind of loosens up for just a second and hands the danish over you want a danish uh it, it touched me i don't know maybe because he was dead Gags was laying down two sloans on the street for this Pataglia, right? He's turned into the big money, but he has put it in his pocket, the principal. They found out he was screwing them over. They went crazy, bubble. Gags down on merch? Yeah, at the R.D. Lounge. When Paulie saw it go down, it was your money that was in Gags' pocket when he went out the window. never done a, I had never done a movie before so first of all there's a lot of history on that particular shot and in the movie it's the one where we're driving down Halstead yes and they could only get Hooker and Halstead was the corner um Michael could only get that location for one day yeah and it was picked on a Saturday and Michael came to me on a set on a Monday going, uh, you're working Saturday. And I said, Michael, um, I'm getting married Saturday. My, my wife is pregnant with your friend, Robert. <laughs> my wife is pregnant and getting very big. And I got to marry her to make this right. And we're getting married on Saturday. He goes, no, no, you're shooting this scene. We only get that location. I go, Michael, I got a hormonal wife, a woman, and, and, and she's pregnant. I mean, I'm, oh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tell her that I can't get married because I gotta shoot. You tell her. He said, what's the number? <laughs> what? What's the number? Gave him the number. Picked up the phone. Hi, Sandy. Michael Mann here. Yes, yes. How are you doing? Oh, very good. Oh, yes, Jim's doing a, just a terrific job in the movie. Oh, shoot on Saturday. Wouldn't that be all right? Thank you. All right, Cindy. Bye-bye. You're working Saturday. And he walked away. <laughs> so that Saturday was the scene where it was really the beginning of the movie. So, And, and I had a little speech, you know. I mean, you know, there's a lot of sentences in a row. Yeah. Which, on a side note, there were no contractions in this movie. There was no, I don't, I can't, I won't, I shouldn't. It was always, I do not. Yeah. I will not. Because I had shortened the line a little bit by making it a contraction. And Michael stopped me and he goes, Jim, every move these guys make, they could get arrested or killed. 
So any information that transfers between these men has to be clear. And one place where things get lost is in contractions. Yeah. I said, yes, sir. So anyway, I had that little paragraph and we started shooting. It was, it was the uh, station wagon. And then there was a station wagon in front of us. Actually, the station wagon was in front of us with the camera on the back. And we were driving our work car. And it was a two shot, kind of a wide shot also. And it was one shot and it was action. And right before the day, Jimmy would say something and it would make me laugh. And we'd stop, car had to go all the way around, come back, get in first position. And the next, next take, he right before we go, he goes, don't worry, they're not paying you enough to play a real character. I laugh again, right? Drove around again. Next time he goes, uh, that was good. Just try to sound a little more masculine this time. <laughs> Action. Well, I cracked up again. Michael took me out of the car and goes, is he, uh, is he rattling you? And I didn't even know what the word meant. Yeah. And I go, well, uh, what do you mean? I go, you know, he's, he's such a nice guy. He's so funny. <laughs> Next time he turns to you and says something, turn to him, look him in the face and say, are you trying to rattle me? Oh, I'm thinking, oh, good gag. <laughs> so the next take, he started to talk and I turned to him and I go, are you trying to rattle me? And James goes, Jimmy goes, oh, oh, hey, <laughs> look at the kid. <laughs> The kid actor, look at that. Boy, it's the first day in the movie. Look at him. Look at him. Oh, he's so funny. He's so funny. Never did it again. Is it all there? I'm sure that it is. Don't you say thanks or something? Whose money is this? Your money. But I stopped this guy from giving you a hard time. Well, thanks. You're welcome. No big deal. I see. Where are you going? Where am I going? Yeah. I'm late. Come on. Come on, I thought we'd talk a little business. Get to know each other. Uh, no offense. Uh, you want to get to meet people, join a Lonely Hearts Club. I know you already. Yeah? Yeah. How you know me? That merch you put down, the gags, Max Sherman. Puerto Rican fence, uh, Coltazar. What do you think they down it? To me, I'm the bank. I handle the fence for half this city. You've been putting down two, three scores a month. Month in, month out. I see your stuff. You've got great taste. Regular Highline Pro. So I said to Gags, I want to meet this guy. Did he tell you that? Yes. Fine. Let's cut the bullshit. Who is he? How the hell do I know? You want to put down contract scores all over the country? Working directly for me? I am self-employed. I am doing fine. I don't deal with egos. I am Joe the boss of my own body. So what the fuck do I have to work for you for? Maybe you don't. I'll lay it out. You can be the judge. You don't look. You don't case. You don't do nothing. We point you to a score. When we say it's there, it's there. They're all laid out scores. And they worked up. 
alarm system diagrams, blueprints, sometimes a front door key, sometimes the scores are in on it, everybody's ripping off the insurance company. Yeah, work cars, drops, tools. Whatever you need, you'd see me. I'd be your father. Money, guns, cars, I'd be your father from here on out. That's my end. You get a price. No negotiation about the price. We got expenses here you don't have, but you'll know the price up front. How big? Boxcar, nothing under six figures. I'll make you a millionaire in four months. I go to work for you, I'm pulling a lot of exposure. Our protection trades that off. Yeah, take a bust. Turn around, there's gonna be a lawyer, bondsman right there. You never spend a night in jail. Look, ice lice. No furs, no coin collections, no stock certificates, no cottage, no treasury bonds, no nothing. Just diamonds or cash. Fine. No cowboy shit, no home Fine. invasions. I work with a partner. We take care of you. A partner is strictly your responsibility. He beefs on you, that's your problem. He beefs on us, that's your problem too. Well, you're inside people. That's my end. You don't have to know anything about that. So what do you say, Frank? I don't know. What do you mean, you don't know? I don't know. I don't believe in uh, lifetime subscriptions. Maybe you don't fit in with my retirement program. What are you going to do, retire? Pick corn with the chickens, watch daytime TV for the rest of my life. What the hell is the difference? All right, all right. Two, three moves. You want to keep going? That's fine. Well, if you want to split, that's fine, too. Everybody's business-like. Everybody's an adult. So let me know, because we'd be terrific. Yeah, that's fine. I'll call you. You want to pick them up? I also love, it's not in a, I love the, uh, it's not in that scene, but uh, I'm, I'm Joe, the boss of my own fucking body is one of my favorite lines. I love that. So many good moments like that. I also like, you know, I love, uh, I love his, relationship with Belushi in the movie and uh it's great you know it's just there's so many kind of tender quiet moments between them that rewatching at this time that was something that really jumped out he's an actor I just delight in watching him work with other actors yes. and seeing that collaboration form on screen. There's so many great actors that are like great monologists or people you can just watch do anything by themselves. But James Kahn, it's that energy that he brings to a scene and the presence that he has and how the dynamic changes and how status changes between him and other actors. And I think of him in Thief so much working with, Robert Prosky, who's just yeah. one of those great character actors and how that dynamic keeps evolving and changing. And like you say, it's spellbinding. It's just exciting. And Tuesday World as well. <sighs> I love the kind of sensitivity that brews. He's just an actor where the dynamic can change so powerfully between who he's with in a scene. Michael, 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 Michael is br brilliant. He's brilliant. He is the most focused, um, obsessive, compulsive, detailed <laughs> artist that you could ever meet. I mean, he, look at Dennis Farina, who was a cop. He was in the, well, they had a thing called the IBI, Illinois Bureau of Investigation. It was a team of, I don't know, six to 10 hand-selected detectives in Chicago that they formed their own team. It was uh, almost like the Mulholland uh, hat squad, right? Yeah. 
They were the ones that were going out getting the Highline Thieves. But so they were in the movie. So Dennis Farina was a cop. His partner, Nick, I mean, they both beat me up at the end. <laughs> Dennis Farina shot me and killed me. Uh, and they were coppers and they played the bad guys. Yeah. And I remember after we, after that shoot, Dennis was like, you know, Jimmy, tell me about this acting thing. How do I do this acting thing? And I said, well, that's, you know, get an eight by 10, go to Shirley Hamilton as a talent agency, you know, uh, up and down the new town, old town area are lots of theaters that have classes. You should join those theaters and learn to act. And, you know, sure enough, next time I came to Chicago, he was at, uh, St. Nicholas Theater doing streamers. Like, <laughs> yes! And then he became the great actor that he was. But that was his first movie. Yeah. And Nick, and then on the other side, the guys who played the coppers, Jimmy Santucci was a real thief. Chuck Amundsen, the guy who beats James with the phone book, he was a copper with that IBI. I think he was the head of it. Uh, Bobby Brown, uh, the guy in the opening scene in the car looking at the the stuff going on, he was a thief. And I used to sit in a trailer with these guys because they like to play spit, this gambling game, you know. I'm like, let me in. They go, ah, oh, no, you're a kid. I go, come on, let me play. They took me for like 60 bucks. 60 bucks in 1980 for a young actor was like, <laughs> I'm not going to make my rent. Anyway. Uh, Walter Scott, the great stunt coordinator. And, um, so Michael cast authentic people. Yes. Uh, and so that's why it really felt so real. And so, you know, authentic. I mean, it was just uh, authentic. What the hell do you think that I do? Come on, come on. Come on, every morning I walk in for five months, say hi. What the hell do you think that I do? You sell little fucking cars, that's what you do. I wear $150 slacks. I wear silk shirts. I wear $800 suits. I wear a gold watch. I wear a perfect D, flawless, three-carat ring. I change cars like other guys change their fucking shoes. I'm a thief. I've been in prison, all right? So what? I don't care. So what? Don't tell me. So what? I never even told my wife that. I don't Who care. is now gone? Did I ever come on to you? No. Well, you see? See? See what? See, I, I am a straight arrow. I am a true blue kind of a guy. I've been cool. I am now unmarried. So let's cut the mini moves and the bullshit and get on with this big romance. What? I don't believe it. Do you think that I have been waiting for you to come along? What is this shit? You think I'm kidding? I can tell this is strictly on the up and up. Jesus Christ. I mean, it's probably, I mean, Sonny will always be my favorite James Conn performance, but Thief is, Thief's the one, right? I mean, that's the one he likes the best. That's the most emblematic and it's fascinating because i mean i forget who pointed it out but every conversation in that movie is just him going this is who i am this is what i believe <laughs> it's not, there's no real conversing it's just a long series of monologues and the way that i mean that film works almost as like man's declaration of principles anyways you've never really seen an artist so fully arrived in their first 
first theatrical feature yeah. and on the technicality, but their first movie, like it's all there between the look and the, you know, the whole, the whole way of life. And what are you doing in your life that is so terrific? My life is fine. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You don't know about me. Yeah. I know all about you. You know, inside. bullshit. Why are you gonna shout? Excuse me, uh, can we have two coffees here? Sorry, so? So, so what? So, tell me. Minions? No, thanks. So, uh, what was it like? You know, a lot of money, Tucson, Mexico City, Bogota, drifting, you know, okay? Okay. It got twisted and ugly and empty. It was over already, but we kept moving through the moves. It ended very badly. Now I get up in the morning, I take a shower, I go to work, I have a job, I have a social security card, and my life is very ordinary, very boring, which is good, because it's solid. Your marking time is what you are. You're backing off, you're hiding out, you're waiting for a bus that you hope never comes because you don't want to get on it anyway because you don't want to go anywhere, all right? Do you have a license for this? <laughs> all right, how much was he moving? Nothing to till the end. And then kilo amounts. I don't, I don't know. Well, then what? He's dead. He is dead. That is good, because he's an asshole. There was a lot of love in the beginning. The guy was an asshole. There was love in the beginning. Big asshole. I mean, he put you in a box. You know the kind of things they do to you 10 times a day if you do a bit in Columbia, do you? Jesus Christ. Don't shout in here. <laughs> I was alone. I had no money, no clothes, no visa, standing on the corner of Bogota and Colombia. Things did happen. Where were you in prison? Would you pass a cream, please? Joliet. The water. Whoa, God. Hey, can we some uh, new cream here? What's wrong with it? What's wrong with it? It's cottage cheese. Uh, the warden there was, uh, Joe Regan, Meatball Joe. That slob was a penologist. I'm a jet airplane pilot. I did 11 years. I got out, what, four years ago. What'd you go up for? I stole $40. $40? Yeah. Started with, a. Uh, Two-year bit, parole in six months. And right away, I got into this problem with these two guys. They tried to turn me out. So I picked up uh, nine more on, on a manslaughter beef, some other things. I was 20 when I went in, 31 when I come out. Uh, you don't uh, you don't count months and years. Uh, you don't do time that way. What do you mean? Why? Why? You gotta forget time. Uh, you gotta not give a fuck if you live or die. Uh, you gotta get to where nothing means nothing. I'll tell you a story all about it. 
Once there was this uh, Captain Morphus. This 300-pound uh, slob, he couldn't write his name. And he had this crew of uh, 16 or 17 guards and cons, and prison groups, you know, crews. They would uh, <clears throat> go into these cells and grab these young guys and bring them up to hydrotherapy in the mental ward, uh, gangbang. And if a guy puts up a struggle, they beat him half to death, and he winds up in a funny farm. And Anyway, word comes down that I am next. And I do not know what I am supposed to do. I, uh, I am scared. 11, 30, 12, uh, lights come on, and uh, I got this pipe from, uh, from plumbing. And uh, I whack the first uh, guard in the shins, and I go through a convict and another convict. And anyway, I get to Morphus, and I whack him across the head twice. Boom. <clears throat> and then they jump all over me, do a bunch of things. I spend six months in the hospital ward, but Morphus, he is also fucked up real good. Uh, cerebral hematoma, they pension him out. You know, he can't walk straight and he dies two years later. Which is a real loss to the planet Earth. Meanwhile, I gotta go back into the uh, mainstream population. And I know the minute I hit the yard, I am a dead man. So I hit the yard, so you know what happens. Nothing happens. Because uh, I, I don't mean nothing to myself. I don't care about me. I don't care about nothing, you know? And then uh, I know from that day that I survived because I achieved that mental attitude. And then, uh, see, later, I, I worked this out. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Stone cell. I mean, what is this? I mean, that is my life. Uh, and uh, nothing, nobody can stop me from making that happen. And uh, right there, that would be you. Who, who's the old man here? That is David Oakler Bertineau. He's a master thief, a master. And a great man. He's like, he was like a father. He taught me everything that I know about what I do. And I told him about you. Did you cut these out from um, magazines and? Yeah, newspapers, whatever. Why do, you, why do you have all of these dead people? Inside, you are on ice from time. Uh, you can't even die right, you know, and here, here, people grow, they get old, 
die, children come after. Just a cycle, you know. I don't know. I... Yes, you do. You do. You don't know, you don't know from one day to the next whether you're going to be killed, go home, or get busted. Look, I have run out of time. I have lost it all. And so I can't, I can't work fast enough to catch up, and I can't run fast enough to catch up, and the only thing that catches me up is doing my magic act. But it ends, you know? It will end. I got this. Right there. It ends, it's over. And so I'm just asking you to be with me. We adopt. I, I am not ready. See, and and I have my life, so I, I can't. What? I mean, what? What is going on in your life that is so terrific? Mine's been a mess. <laughs> so it's just, I was just thinking, you know, that just maybe between the two of us. We can make something, something happen, something special, something really nice, you know. So I'm just, uh, I'm just asking you uh, to uh... look. And I got a way now that I, I can make it happen faster. I mean, much, much faster. And uh, I'm just, I'm just asking you. You know, I know it's kind of the go-to thing to talk about Thief uh, in in the wake of Khan's passing. And it's even more of a go-to thing to talk about the diner scene in Thief. Um, and I'm going to do that too, uh, but for a very specific <laughs> reason. Um, you know, after Khan died, I was, there was the, you know, the avalanche of social media remembrances and nearly all of them, you know, featured, you know, it was, it was that sh the screen cap of the, sh uh, the scene from Thief in which Frank and Jesse, played by the amazing Tuesday Weld, uh, they're sitting at the, the that great 10-minute uninterrupted real-time sequence at the diner where their date, supposed date, um, has gone really poorly because Frank showed up late and basically takes slaps, her to a Slaps diner. Billy Peterson. Slaps, slaps, slaps Billy Peterson. Which I don't mind. I've never been crazy about William Peterson, so I like watching him get uh, roughed up in that Chicago bar. But um, you know, the, the, everyone kind of focuses on that scene, and rightly so because it's it's the best scene in the movie. Um, but I think I don't know that we always talk about why it's the best scene in the movie, and the reason it is the best scene of the movie is the same reason that we love James Con, and that's kind of what I wanted to talk about, which is why do we love James Con? Like why, why, why? And I don't, it's not quite because he's one of the last of those guys, those cinematic tough guys. 
It's part of it, but not entirely it. And it's not because that sequence is just so beautifully filmed, even though it is. Um, it's not because Khan is both, we get it, he's hot. He's, you know, he's a good looking guy. We also get it that he's cool. He, he's a cool ass guy. You know, I am the last guy that you want to fuck with. Um, you know, speaking in that contractionless cool that all Michael Mann protagonists do. But I was really thinking about that scene lately and why it's so arresting. And I think it's because in that 10 minute sequence, Khan lays out every single thing in his actor's repertoire that made him so special to us. And it's it has to do with the fact that yeah, he's a tough guy. And yeah, he's kind of one of he was kind of one of the last of those in terms of actors in film. Like I I don't think we think of a lot of actors now as being one of these guys that could be walking down the street to the going to the Playboy Mansion as <laughs> Khan frequently did and would be willing to willing and able to whip your ass if you look at him the wrong way as he's going down the street. He was one of those guys. And what makes the scene so special, I think, is not, not that he's that guy. It's the fact that Khan, and by extension, Frank, and I think this is why we always think of Frank when we think of Khan and Khan when we think of Frank. Frank isn't a tough guy. Just like we've talked about how Neil McCauley, played by Robert De Niro, is actually not the cool, calm, calculated Jean-Pierre Melville, Le Samurai type, chilly badass, that he's actually probably the opposite of that. He's someone like Wayne Grow, who has had to teach himself to be this cool, emotionless motherfucker in order to survive in his business. I think that one of the really tragic things about Frank and one of the beautiful things about James Caan as a performer is Frank is a child. Frank is emotionally a child. He went into prison when he was, what, like 19 Barely, barely an adult. He went in for stealing 40 bucks. He went in, you know, supposed to be short-term, short-term stretch. But then uh, Captain Morpheus and uh, Morpheus and his crew uh, tried to turn him out. And he went down for manslaughter, got nine years added to his sentence, basically lost all of his 20s. And, um, you know, only got out in terms of the movie's timeline four years ago. So what does that mean? What's that mean for Frank? That means that Frank went in a child with a child's understanding of the world uh, and a child's heightened emotional state and a child's willingness to be connected to that emotional state, willingness to be emotional, willingness to be emotionally rowdy and... Um, not totally locked down and civil and under control in a, in, a, in a very kind of sweet way. And I'm going to be all over the place here, Blake. So bear with me, <laughs> but um, that's who Frank was. And as Frank lays out to Jesse, when they're kind of having this conversation that starts off contentious, but then becomes this, this beautiful sequence of two broken souls who are kind of explaining to each other how they got broken. And, recognizing themselves in one another and understanding trauma and understanding the trauma that they each share. But he, he explains, you know, the only way I was able to survive and the only way that I was able to, you know, he basically at one point says, you know, the leader of the gang that was trying to, you know, to rape and murder him, uh, he kills the guy, puts him in intensive care, later dies in an assisted living home. Um, 
he explains that the only way when he went back out on the yard that he was able to not get killed in terms of retribution is he just went dead inside that like he killed every emote he killed the child within himself or at least you know hid the child within himself and when all of his enemies on the yard saw that he was already dead inside they realized there's no point in killing him he's already dead like there's no there's no spark to to quelch there's no spark to put out and that's I say that because so much of his adult life has been hiding that sweetness and that childlike emotion. And what we see, though, in the diner scene is Frank trying to resuscitate that child in himself because his understanding of the world and relationships and how you ask out a girl, like he literally shows up to this date with a a little piece of poster board <laughs> with all these magazine cutouts that are representing his vision of the cycle of life. You know, you, you meet someone, you have kids, you get old, you die, the kids carry on, the cycle continues. And, you know, he basically goes on what appears to be a first date, just being like, Hey, you know, uh, what do you say? You know, we, we be together forever, have some kids. And uh, you know, what else are you doing that is so special in your life? <laughs> now, Normally, that's a big old red flag <laughs> when someone comes to a first date and lays that out on you. That's a big, big red flag. Um, what's special about this date is um, for all her protestations, um, you kind of get the sense that Jesse's looking for the same. Yeah. And what I love, and I, I promise I'm making a point, I promise, um, as they're talking, there's there's a sex scene. There is a sex scene in um, Thief, and it's fine. It's it's fine, but um, or there's a literal sex scene rather in Thief, and it's 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 fine. It's it's nice. It's got Tangerine Dream in the background. This diner scene is the. It sounds weird, to me is one of the most erotic <laughs> and intimate sex scenes you'll see in the cinema of the 1980s because there there is a type of emotional intercourse happening here and i always think of one of the sexiest things in this film is when khan is trying to explain his emotional state and it cuts to tuesday weld and she takes her jacket off yeah as he's and this is a woman who is ready to just walk walk on his ass get the hell out of there she takes she takes her jacket off because she's saying hey not only is she like taking her armor off because it's a really big jacket. Um, <laughs> she's, she's removing this armor, but she's also, she's saying all of a sudden, like, I'm interested. I want to hear what you have to say. I, I, I might be willing to connect with you on some level here. So I'm going to, I'm going to take my jacket off. I'm going to disrobe for a little bit. And I'm showing you that I'm, I'm done walking out, at least for the time being, I'm going to listen to you. And there is something about that that is so sexy and endearing and sweet and why does she do it? Why does she do it? Why does she do it? She does it for the same reasons. I told you I was going to make a point. She does it for the same reason that we love James Conn. It's not, we don't love him because he's this charming, tough guy. Well, that's part of it. We love him because we sense that there is something underneath that that is always trying to get out, that is always fighting to get out, trying to say something, trying to represent itself. And in, the, in this scene, so captures, he starts off the tough guy where 
you know, he's, he's talking about the creamer. He's like, what's wrong with it? It's cottage cheese. Get it out of here. And he's like, <laughs> you know, and when he's like, you know, you are terrified. You, you your life is a bus. You don't want to get on because you don't want to live it. You don't want to do anything. And when she's talking about her ex and he just keeps going asshole, big time <laughs> asshole. He starts off this scene as grating, as annoying, as just this frustratingly, uh, uh, overconfident, dick swaggering kind of jerk who's more or less holding her hostage. And why would anyone talk to this guy? Why would anyone take their jacket off? Why would anyone want to stay and hear what he's got to say? It's because so quickly he reveals that that is all such an act. He really quickly starts just these cascading levels of vulnerability as he explains where he came from. And he basically is telling her in as much as he can with his emotional vocabulary, he's trying to tell her this guy that you see, this has an ending. This, this, there's an, there's an ending to this person that I'm forcing myself to be. He's taught himself that he has to behave by these certain codes of masculinity and he has to be seen as a certain type of man. But then he keeps trying to undercut that by saying, but, but listen, like, this is what I really want this almost child's version of um, a future. And he, <laughs> there's something so sweet about it. And there's something so vulnerable about it. And, you know, the, the way he's like, look, I worked this out. And um, <laughs> when he finally, you know, this guy who you get the sense, you know, he doesn't take shit from anybody. He doesn't ask anyone for anything. He, you know, he takes what he wants. Um, here he is with this woman and he's just, he's being so open with her and vulnerable and saying, look, I've run out of time and I've, I've lost it all. I can't work fast enough to catch up. I can't run fast enough to catch up, but this ends, this version of me ends. And the way he, he, he starts, you see his eyes start to get really wet. And he's like, so I'm just asking you to be with me. And when, and you know, the way that Jesse is equally vulnerable by saying, I can't, I don't have, I, I don't fit into this. I can't have children. And he, he, he has that great line. What is going on in your life that is so terrific? Mine has been a mess. Mine, <laughs> mine's been a mess. And so I'm just thinking, you know, that, that maybe between the two of us that we could make something happen. We could make something special, something really nice. And that's, I think, why we like James Conn. That's why we love James Conn is because I think that all of us feel that way. All of us, I think, feel that that we have to kind of layer ourselves with this, this outer shell that protects us from other people and that we, we meet other people who do the exact same thing. But then there will be this magic or momentous uh, exchange you'll have with someone where you feel that melting away and you feel it melting away in them and you reach a level of vulnerability where you say, look, I just think we could make something happen. I think we could make something special, something really nice. And I think that that's where and why we fall in love with James Conn is because I think that there is an element of that scene on an atomic level in all of his performances. We know he's the tough guy. We know he's Sonny Corleone. But he's also this guy that deep down inside kind of wants and hurts and feels all of the things that we do. And I think that for all of his outer trappings, 
you know, the way that we sometimes talk about, we talk about Brad Pitt. We say Brad Pitt's a character actor who just happens to be locked in a leading man's body. Yes. You know, I feel like with James Caan on an emotional level, you know, we view him as our, as our, you know, leading tough guy, our badass player inside. He's, he's a little kid and he's so full of these raw vulnerabilities. That's why he's so explosively uncontrollable and angry in uh, The Godfather. It's why he's so kind of cripplingly obsessed in The Gambler. It's why he's so heartbreaking in something like The Way of the Gun. And it's why he is so special in Thief is he's not a Michael Mann tough guy. And that's why he so fits in this film. And I thought is that he is someone who desperately doesn't want to be in this movie. Frank <laughs> Frank does not want to be a character in this film. Frank does not want to be the, the titular thief. He just wants to be Jesse's husband. He wants to be uh, Jesse's man. He wants to just be the guy that grew up that never went to prison. He wants to leave all of this behind. And I think that that speaks to something so elemental to the rest of us that he is you know, like all great characters in art, he is a exaggerated, larger-than-life version of something that I think a lot of us all feel. And that is why I think when you talk about James Caan, you want to talk about Thief. And that is why when you talk about Thief, I think you want to talk about the diner scene. Because it is Michael Mann's greatest sex scene <laughs> is the diner scene in Thief. That moment where his eyes get a little wet and he starts talking about how you don't do time like that. Uh, and you cut to over to Tuesday Well, and she slips out of her jacket, and she she lowers those shields just a little bit because she starts to realize, oh, this guy's been hurt too, uh, and realizing that he's capable of being hurt is what makes him interesting. Realizing, and then what makes him even more interesting, what makes him someone that she can fall in love with, is not only realizing that he's been hurt, but that he is someone who is willing and able to confess that to her and willing to confess that to us and his willingness to admit that to her to be like listen because right before that she laid out everything that happened to her in bogota colombia um and how bad it got there's this moment where he's like look you've told me who the real you is and not only have you told me who the real you is i still like you i like <laughs> the real you better than i thought than the the version of you i thought you were because he didn't know that shit about her. That's what makes this scene so magical is it's two people going, you know what? You've laid out all this ugly shit about yourself. And I got to be real with you. I like the survivor of that shit who's sitting here with me right now being real. I like that person so much more than the normal ass Joe walking down the street <laughs> that I thought you were. And I think that that's what makes, I think that's what makes Jim, Jimmy Khan. I'm going to say Jimmy Khan like I know him. Uh, that's good. That's what makes that's what makes James Khan so special. Is I think he brought that to every character, and I think that um, the way he makes Jesse feel in Thief, I think, is what he made the rest of us feel every time we watched him. We would sit there and go, "Oh my God!" You know, I thought you were this, I thought you were this fucking tough guy, but here you are. You're showing me things that I didn't know you were going to show me. And now I love you even more because you showed me that stuff. Then. The tough guy I thought you were going to be in this film and uh that's that's why I think we love him and I'm going to jump jump to one other thing really quickly uh, 
been thinking a lot about the movie The Way of the Gun, um, the Christopher McQuarrie film that came out in the late 90s. And uh, Khan plays um, a bag man um, for, uh, for the heavy, for the crime heavy in that movie. And he just has a great line um, that kind of in a single line does what that 10 minute sequence in heat does. And I'm not going to get it right because I'm not James Conn, but um, <laughs> there's a scene where he's, uh, he's got to go, go to a prison um, and talk to these two uh, hitmen slash guards that fucked up an exec protect and decide whether or not he's going to get him out of jail or whether he's going to have him killed. And one of them is played by Nikki cat. Um, that skinny little shit. And he gets up in, uh, <laughs> he gets up in James Conn's face and is like, you know, who do you think you are old man? You know, all this, and uh, Khan just gives him this sad little look. And he's like, you know, if, it, if there's one thing you can tell about a broken old, broken down old man like me, you know what that is? Like, What's that? Like, that he's a survivor. <laughs> and there's something about James Khan. And like, even, even in that moment where you, he says that because he's a survivor, you hear the weight of his entire life in that phrase. And that he was always doing that. He was always dropping those little bombs of vulnerability amidst all that tough guy shit. And I think that 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 kind of made Jesse's out of all of us. You know, we were always sitting on the other side of the table, looking at him, going, "Holy shit, you're 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 gonna take your mask off and you're gonna show me something real, aren't you?" And then you can't help but fall in love with the guy every time he does it. There's a moment in that scene where you can tell he's like, "My God, you're looking like." There's a look on his face where he kind of stops for a minute, just stops, and it's because you can you can tell his as a character. He's Frank is sitting there going, my God, you're looking right the fuck at me. Mm. You're not looking in my direction, talking to me. You are looking right into me. me. And you are looking into my goddamn eyes and I'm looking into yours and something, something is happening. And I'm not quite sure what, but I'm instead of playing it cool, he's like, he's going to cut all the mini moves and the bullshit and get on with this big romance, as he says, because there's, I, I, you know, that he, he might be a child, but you know that he knew that he couldn't just go to a first date with a and show her his fucking collage and be like, hey, this is what I want. I want you to marry me. I want us to have a kid. But I think in that moment, he pivots because he it's almost like he can't help it. It's almost like he can't help it. And it's like a seizure of vulnerability <laughs> where he's like, all right, I'm just going to let loose. I'm just going to tell you everything. I'm going to tell you everything. You've t- you, you, you were cool enough to tell me about you. I'm going to tell you everything. And if you're still here, if you're still here at the you're end of this conversation, at, you're still here at the end of this conversation and you're still here for it. Then I've got someone who's special. Yeah. And, and it, just like he says, I just, I just think we could, I just think that we could be a part of something special because he said, he waits until the very end of that scene to say that because it's only at the end of the scene where he's like, Oh, well, you're still here. You took your coat off. Um, <laughs> you're still here looking at me. And I can tell you want to reach your hands across the table and touch mine. And so I'm just asking you, I'm just asking you to be with me. And man, that's, that's the stuff. That is the stuff. That's the stuff, man. It doesn't take kind of reaching that kind of rock bottom no. emotionally for me ever to feel like I could be that vulnerable. For me, I had nothing left to lose, except there was this woman that I really was interested in. And I, I told her, I think, really early on, maybe even the second date or the third date, I said, I don't know what your situation is. I don't know if you're dating other people or whatever, but I want you to know that I'm not anymore. I'm not going to play a game with you. I want to see you every day. I want to be with you. And uh, I don't know what that's, that's going to look like. I don't know what the shape of it is. I don't even know if it's going to work, but that's what I want. And I'm just telling you that. And you can do what, what you need to do to get to the place <laughs> that you want to be. But for me right now, I'm done. I'm, this is it. I'm not looking anymore. So 
I'm sorry for freaks you out. I'm sorry. I'm just telling you, I just don't have it in me anymore to do this. Yeah. You know, yeah. to play that way. And luckily for me, she was in the same place. And and so there's this the the this real startling, you know, so to sort of paraphrase what you're saying, shocking immediacy to James Caan in his movies. You know, like you know, like sitting in the diner with Tuesday Weld is that scene that for me is even bigger then you know hit you right close to your heart the, the uh, diner scene in 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 uh, heat where it's it, it but, but they both have sort of similar like i'm just gonna put it on the table here i'm gonna yeah you know, this that, is what i'm just, about it's it's going all in yeah it's just it. and, and they both have those stakes they both have them on such different frequencies but i think when you're our age when you might have seen thief when you were younger you're sort of startled and it's cool and it's shocking. Yep. And now when I watch that scene, I'm like, I couldn't imagine having an interaction that wasn't that honest yeah. if I was in his situation. It's just like, we have so little time on this planet to do anything. And so James Khan is like this, he's like a time bomb. He's like going, hey, <laughs> what are we wasting all of this time on bullshit? Like, let's cut it all out and get to this big romance. If, if we can find this fleeting happiness, we can, we, if we can pull our collage together. Um, yeah, I, I think maybe because I've watched the heat scene 10,000 times, <laughs> it's a, you know, I, I can say this, that when I come back to thief and I watch that scene as a, and watch the whole film, not in isolation. I think sometimes that's the trick. Some people just watch that scene in isolation. I'm like, no, you need to kind of watch the run up. You need to get, you need to feel the tone of the movie to that point. When I watch it, it kind of maybe shocks me more now because I'm like, God, two people yeah. so candid with each other and ready to stop the bullshit and stop wasting time and live. It's a funny scene and a, a strange scene uh, in a lot of ways. And I just love, I mean, I love, the interaction between him and Tuesday Wells, obviously, it's just uh, brilliant, brilliant dialogue. The, the rhythms of of man's dialogue, you know. I mean, there's um, there's not a lot of people like like that who write dialogue that way. There's there's you know, Milch and there's Man and there's uh, and there's you know maybe Mamet. You know, kind of jump to mind as those kind of exemplars of rhythm. And and I love the way the dialogue just moves and, and the way they talk to each other. So good. That concludes part one of One Thief Minute, an audio remembrance for James Cunn. We'll be back with part two very soon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>